It was 3.40 a.m. on August 31st, 1888, when the body of Mary Ann Nichols was discovered dead in the Whitechapel area in the East End of London. By November of that same year, more victims would be found. Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Kelly. All five women were brutally murdered, seemingly in the middle of the night. Their throats were slashed. They had stab wounds all across their bodies. They were disfigured, and three of them had their organs cut from their body. The London Metropolitan Police had a serial killer on their hands. A killer who allegedly sent the department letters taking credit for the crimes. But it was also a killer without an identity. And we still don't know, or do we? This countdown is the suspect list. These are the most probable men and women who could be the true identity of one of the most famous killers in true crime history, Jack the Ripper. Hey, all you weirdos. Welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week, we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast Research Gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 Jack the Ripper theories. This countdown had me screaming when I saw it <laughs> because I am... Very interested in the Jack the Ripper case. Can confirm. Yes, I have devoured a lot of literature about it over the years. It was one of the first things I like really deeply dove into. So these theories are definitely ones I've heard of for the most part. Mm -hmm. But even I was surprised by a couple. Yeah, I got super into Jack the Ripper because of Elena. Like the (laughs) the case, not the human. No. But you were always telling me about it. And I actually did a paper in high school on it. So I knew some of the theories on this list as well. But honestly, just like you, I was surprised that I didn't recognize some of these suspects. There was some crazy ones. And you know what? What's even crazier about this case is obviously, like, we all know how, like, truly brutal and really sudden these murders were. But the way that the organs were removed and the cuts made are really what sets it apart. And it's what made people think that it had to be someone in the medical field Mm -hmm. or someone very familiar with anatomy. I've never been able to say with total certainty who I think is responsible, like 100% again. No, a couple of people can always fit. I was going to say, there's definitely a few people that I think we could look even a little bit more into and crack the code. We're going to crack this case, man. I don't know who your number one is, but that's because that's how this whole thing works. Elena has five suspects on her list and I have five on mine, but neither of us knows who is on the other's list. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. 10. 10. I'll start us off with number 10, Thomas Cutbush. Cutbush's name first got dropped by the Sun newspaper in 1894, and they named him again a few times after that in other editions. Hello, media attention! But investigations into Thomas Cutbush, including one by police, said he was not the Ripper. However, if you look at his life, it's easy to see why he'd make the list, so we'll let you decide. First, it's said that Thomas Cutbush read medical books and wandered the streets at night, only to come home with dirty clothes. Were they dirty with mud? Were they dirty with blood? Were they dirty with the 1800s? I thought you were going to make it a full rhyme. (laughs) I think maybe they were just dirty with the 1800s. I just wonder if the 1800s as a whole had something to do with that. The air was just dirty. Yeah. Well, he also spent a lot of time in an asylum that revealed he had mental instability and he had violent tendencies while detained. One theory states that Cutbush's mental instability was brought on by syphilis that he got from a sex worker, which may have fueled the killings. Syphilis revenge killings? Okay. But no mention of syphilis was found in his asylum records, so that could just be a rumor. Yeah, it sounds like just something they tacked on. Exactly. At one point, he actually escaped the asylum, stabbed a woman in the buttocks, and attempted to do the same to another woman. But it turns out these may have been copycat crimes because in the late 1700s, there was a criminal called the London Monster. He ran around the streets of London, cutting women with a knife, but nothing was reported about him committing full-on murder. Huh. Still, not good to be doing, but it did seem like Thomas Cutbush was just copying the London Monster. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. Cutbush was arrested in March 1891 for it all and committed to a psychiatric hospital where he died in 1903. Something that points to him not being Jack the Ripper is his age. He was 23 at the time of the murders, which is younger than witnesses describe the Ripper. Plus, he lived a good few miles away from where the Ripper murders took place. Though I don't think it's unheard of to see a killer terrorize another area. No, definitely not. But I think there's just too much here to point to like, I don't think so. I don't like him for the job. Not it. At number nine is Prince Albert Victor, a.k.a. Prince Eddie. Prince Eddie was the grandson of Queen Victoria, who had many parts of his life scrutinized, mostly his intelligence and his sexuality. He was sort of the black sheep of his royal era. He's also one of the most well-known suspects on this list because he's involved in several theories in the Jack the Ripper case. But in terms of Eddie being the Ripper himself, there are a couple of stories that have been told. One theory was written about in a 1970 article in The Criminologist, the official newsletter of the American Society of Criminology. The author of the article, 
Dr. Thomas Stowell, claims he studied the private papers of Sir William Gull, who was allegedly Prince Eddie's physician in the late 1880s. Allegedly. Allegedly. (laughs) And in Gull's papers, it states that Prince Eddie contracted syphilis at a party in the West Indies. Apparently, like, syphilis is just, like, running wild at this time. Yeah, you know. It seems to be showing up in a lot of these. A different time. So the theory goes, syphilis made Prince Eddie insane and drove him to murder. Even worse, the criminologist article says the royal family knew that Prince Eddie was the killer and just didn't do anything about it at first. They were like, you know, I don't know what you want us to do. Yeah, what do you want us to do? I don't know. The family had him locked up in a private hospital, but he escaped and was able to kill Mary Kelly, the Ripper's last victim, before being locked away again. Prince Eddie died in 1892 while in a mental hospital. The issue here with the criminologist article is nothing can be confirmed. Right. A lot of Gull's papers were burned back in the day, and Gull also died two years before Prince Eddie, so he couldn't have written about Eddie's death. Oh, that's messy. But it still has plausible points, even if maybe the timeline is off, and it would fit into Prince Eddie's unroyal-like reputation. Another story that connects Jack the Ripper to Prince Eddie has to do with Eddie's private tutor, James, at Cambridge. In this theory, Eddie isn't the Ripper, but his tutor, James, is. Oh. There were rumors the two men were involved romantically. One theory is that James, the tutor, committed the murders out of anger because he and Prince Eddie couldn't be together. Hmm. Seems like a strange way to act that out, but... I was like, I don't see that. But you know what? Whatever. They even tried to match James's handwriting to the Ripper letters that were sent to police. In the end, James had what's been described as a, quote, mysterious and eventually fatal accident. Quote, unquote. Hmm. <laughs> I stroke my chin a little bit at that one. Accident. But it's important to note, sometimes these theories were put out there with no real substance to back them up. But royal gossip travels fast. I was going to say, I feel like this one is like such a clear instance of like royal gossip. Oh yeah, whenever the royal gets involved in this, it's like just salacious. Oh yeah. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of Jack the Ripper theories is author Lewis Carroll. Lewis Carroll, his pen name, famously gave us Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. He was born Charles Dodgson. And in 1996, author Richard Wallace wondered if Carroll had a third name, a murderous nickname, Jack the Ripper. Wow, that's something to wonder. What, like, what a thought. (laughs) I wonder. Now, Richard Wallace wrote a book in 1996 called Jack the Ripper, Lighthearted Friend. Wow. What a title. (laughs) In this book, he makes his case for Lewis Carroll being the Ripper. He believes Lewis Carroll put anagrams in his writings, which he says began while Carroll was attending an all-boys boarding school at age 12. Carroll wrote coded letters home to his family detailing the alleged sexual abuse by older boys. Oh, Which is sad. really, really sad. Oh, I hate that. Apparently, in the 1840s, his family didn't pick up on these alleged anagrams, so Lewis Carroll built up some animosity. Now jump to 1865. Lewis Carroll is teaching at Oxford and publishes Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. So he's doing great. Good. But Wallace believes Carroll is still holding on to all that unresolved rage. 
Now in 1888, Carol publishes The Nursery Alice, which tells the stories of Wonderland for a much younger audience. In that book, Wallace says Carol uses anagrams again to now confess to the Ripper murders. Whoa, that would be quite the time to do it. Seriously. In a nursery book about Alice in Wonderland. First, he writes a children's book, and then he writes a children's children's book in which he's like, yo, I'm a murderer. Yeah, that would be a definite you know, choice. Like on the no-read list. Bold choice. Let's see if it works out for him. Banned book list. Now, a couple of clues that could also be used to point to Lewis Carroll. He also owned medical books and lived within reach of where the Ripper murders took place. Plus, two of the victims had their noses mutilated, which could be about Carol's mother, who had a big nose. I feel like we are reaching. I feel like I'll never watch Alice in Wonderland the same. This, I feel like I feel nothing different about Lewis Carroll because no. <laughs> I do not think this is true in any way, shape, or form. But I feel like now I'll think of it every time. That's how much I don't take any stock in this is I won't even feel. You're like, beep that theory. Because it's also like he owned medical books. It's like same, and I'm not Jack the Ripper. Not same, but I'm also not Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I'm not the Jack, like, in, yeah. in the nose thing, come on. Yeah, his mom had a big nose. I'm like, now you're just being kind of rude. Now you're being rude. You're talking about my mom? No. Get up. No. Seven. At number seven this week is Vincent Van Gogh. Van Gogh is one of the most studied, celebrated, and famous painters ever. For Van Gogh to be on this list, though, we need to entertain some coincidences. But there are some loopholes in his story that could make those coincidences or theories a little more probable. I love how, like, loophole this is getting. Oh, I love a loophole. And, like, coincidental. We love it. So the Van Gogh Ripper rumors go back to when Van Gogh moved from the Netherlands to London in 1873 at age 20. Shortly after he arrived in London, parts of a dead woman's body were found in the River Thames. That murder is not connected to Jack the Ripper. But if Van Gogh was the killer of that woman, it could prove he had a history of killing. Again, no evidence to say he did this. <laughs> I love that. No evidence. We're just talking about Maybe it. he's a killer, even though we have nothing, nothing to, say to say he is. is. But let's walk through the coincidences we mentioned. One, his age. Based on witness description, Van Gogh would fit the profile being 35 years old when the Ripper killing started. Him and about 75 gajillion other people. I was just gonna say, just him. You're 35. I am. Again, I'm not Jack the Ripper, but I'm fitting in so far. Could be you time traveling. Could be you. Now, his handwriting. The Ripper wrote letters to the police. Van Gogh's handwriting allegedly matched those letters. But here's the thing again. Handwriting can look similar. And like, what was the analysis looking like back then? Exactly. Then we go to his painting. Some say the face of Ripper victim Mary Kelly is painted into Van Gogh's painting titled Irises. That would be wild if it was. I don't think so. It's reported that the face in the painting resembles Mary as she looked when she died, including having a missing nose. Oh, okay, well that is weird. Mary's nose was removed when she was killed. The painted face has a black shape where the nose should be. I'm Googling it as That's we speak. That's definitely creepy. So let's get to the letters. During the time when Van Gogh disappeared from the public after cutting his ear off is when there was the biggest gap in time when the police did not receive any Ripper letters. Interesting. Okay. Counterpoint to Van Gogh. <laughs> 
Jack the Ripper killed between August and November in 1888, Van Gogh was already living in the south of France. Not to say he couldn't travel back, but like, that would be a commitment. (laughs) Just saying. I don't see this one. I'm gonna go ahead and say it's a no-go on Van Gogh. (laughs) Lol. Also on our list at number six is Lord Randolph Churchill. The last name may sound familiar because he's the father of British Prime Minister Sir Winston Churchill. Randolph Churchill became a big time politician in the 1870s, although he never became Prime Minister like his son. His name is linked to being Jack the Ripper for a somewhat noble reason, protecting the crown. Tell me more. Well, Elena, as you mentioned at number nine, Prince Eddie's name is tied to many theories, and this is another. He is back, back, back again. Here he comes. This one doesn't point to Eddie directly as the Ripper, but he is central to why the murders are allegedly carried out by Lord Randolph Churchill. Royals were big supporters of the Freemasons, a boys club that helps create and support people in powerful positions. Prince Eddie was a member. Basically, this story says that Prince Eddie met a Catholic woman, Annie Crook. He got Annie pregnant and married her. But here we have two royal no-nos, an illegitimate child and a Catholic spouse. (gasps) Clutch your pearls. Oh my. (laughs) Now enter the Freemasons to help one of their own and protect the royal reputation. The group hired a known sex worker, Mary Kelly, to start working with Annie at her shop to create the illusion that Mary would be filling in for Annie while she went off to have the baby. What they really did was they staged a kidnapping of Annie and took her to a hospital where they gave her a lobotomy. Are we following? Are you still here with me? I don't know if I'm here with you. So they gave her a lobotomy and she then had no memory of her marriage to Prince Eddie or even having a baby. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mary Kelly bragged to her friends about her new connection to the royals and gossiped about what she knew about Prince Eddie and Annie. Gossip's never good. Telephone gets really messed up. Let the hot goss cool. Well, Mary and her friends then saw an opportunity. They devised a plan to blackmail the Freemasons and threatened to expose Prince Eddie and Annie. Oh no. Blackmail's never good. (laughs) It's never good. The Freemasons then hatched a new plan because they're always out there planning. Of course they did. They stay planning. Plots everywhere. A group of them allegedly drove around town finding each woman that knew something, including Mary Kelly, and murdered them. All five victims were then attributed to one killer, Jack the Ripper. The alleged leader of this team who went around killing women? Lord Randolph Churchill. Okay, um... No, but <laughs> no, also, no. how was he so skilled in anatomy? And You know what? Did he have a medical book? I, like bet the rest he, I was of literally going to say, I bet he had medical books. He probably had a medical book. This one, I love, it involves a lobotomy. It's it involves great. a Catholic. It involves a baby. And it involves just like wild speculation. <laughs> so the last one ain't it. Yeah, that just, no. That one in Van Gogh, I gotta say, absolutely not. That one in Van Gogh are no-nos. Yeah, that's a no. But I'm still excited to get to my number one. Yeah, because so far I'm not convinced for any of these. And I hope that number one will convince me. I I know I have a couple that I'm like, all right, all right, all right. Let's talk about it. Let's get to them. Okay. Six. 
Since the beginning of time, people have wanted to believe in an afterlife. Hi listeners, I'm Shelby Scott. In Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast, I take a closer look at the mortal lives of spiritualists who claim to communicate with the dead and the scientists who tried to debunk them. This eight-episode series looks at paranormal events proven to be hoaxes and those which have mystified even the world's greatest skeptics. Mixing history, mystery, and social psychology, Mediums asks how these self-proclaimed psychics pulled off the illusion of interacting with the dead, even under a microscope of criticism. Were they all simply peddling parlor tricks, or was there something truly paranormal going on? Break out your Ouija board, dust off your crystal ball, or light some candles, because Parcast is ready to reveal what's really known about the unknown. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Mediums. Summon new episodes every Wednesday, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of Jack the Ripper theories. Starting off the second half of our list is Walter Sickert. Similar to others that we've talked about on this list, artist Walter Sickert found himself an unofficial suspect in the Ripper case because someone printed his name and ran with a theory. In her 2002 book, Portrait of a Killer, Jack the Ripper, Case Closed, author Patricia Cornwell did just that. But she didn't just theorize, she applied physical science to her idea. She claimed forensic evidence confirms that Sickert is Jack the Ripper. I love Patricia. It's a good book. I trust in Patricia. I believe Patricia. She does her research. I'm, so now I'm really surprised that Walter Sickert is at number five. I don't know. Well, Walter Sickert was an extremely influential artist in Britain. The themes of his paintings were often darker, more seedy, and sometimes violent elements of Victorian era. He must have been like a moody guy. An artiste. Yeah, he was like emo before emo was a thing. He invented emo. He did. His paintings even displayed a fascination for the murders in the community of Whitechapel, including one titled Jack the Ripper's Bedroom. Interesting. Why do you know what it looks like? Just dude. saying. Before Patricia Cornwell pointed the finger directly at Sickert, another author suggested Sickert was, at the very least, an accomplice in the Ripper murders. And not just any accomplice, but one from the story of Lord Randolph Churchill from number six. Surprise, Lord Eddie, back at it again. Lord Eddie everywhere, <laughs> Lord Eddie in your hair. He's here. He's wildin'. He's never leaving. <laughs> he is here to stay. The theory says Sickert was a part of the Freemasons who ran around town killing the women who could damage Prince Eddie's life. But... Patricia Cornwell says, don't let Sickert off that easily. He wasn't just an accomplice. He was the killer. 
Cornwell used forensic evidence to match the alleged Ripper letters to Sickert's mtDNA, mitochondrial DNA. So already, like, she's using real stuff here. DNA happens to be real. She's just not being like, you know what? I wonder if they gave a woman a lobotomy. I wonder. Maybe that happened. She's like, I didn't like his nose. He's the killer. Yeah, he didn't like his mom. Maybe he wanted to chop off her nose. I don't know. So Patricia gave a motive, saying Sickert was impotent after a childhood illness and surgeries which drove his hatred of women. Okay. I mean, we see that a lot in you know, now serial killers. I was going to say, like, so modern serial killers now do use that as an excuse, so it's not totally out of there. But here's counterpoint number one. He may not have been impotent because it was thought he had a sexually permissive lifestyle. His wife divorced him for cheating and having a child with someone else. So there's that. Counterpoint number two. We don't know if the letters from the Ripper are authentic, we don't actually know that. Right. So matching them with DNA may not exactly hold up. Gets a little shaky. Counterpoint number three. Walter Sickert was likely in France at the time of the murders. Uh, So there we go. Bye. But I still think it's a good one. No, I think it's a good one, too. And I, I shouldn't say bye so quickly because likely in France does not mean in France. Exactly. And I'm telling you, if you read her book, it's pretty compelling. It's a really good book. I mean, I'm a Patricia purist. So You're a I Patricia will, head. Patricia could tell me the sky is green and I'd be like, yep, Patricia, it is. You're correct, ma'am. But here we are. Four. Landing at number four this week is Jill the Ripper. Inspector Frederick Aberline was with the London Metropolitan Police Department that investigated the Jack the Ripper case in those days. He put out this theory. What if the killer was a woman? Everyone was so focused on finding a man based on witness accounts that a female killer could have been walking freely among them the whole time unnoticed. And some of Aberline's reasons why he put this idea out there seem plausible. I like this one. Here we go. I like it. Here we go. Inspector Aberline said that the Ripper's final victim, Mary Kelly, was killed between 3.30 and 4 a.m. But one witness told the inspector that she saw Mary Kelly later that same morning around 8 o'clock. Now, eyewitnesses do get shaky, but like the difference between 4 a.m. and 8 a.m., you're not going to mix that up. It's interesting. The witness also said the woman, who she believed to be Kelly, was wearing a shawl just like the one she knew Mary Kelly in fact owned and wore. Now, the thought here being that the killer took and put on Mary Kelly's clothes that night. Interesting. I just have to ask, how many different shawls were floating around Whitechapel in the 1880s? Probably not a lot. All right. <laughs> Fair. Now, this theory gave way to rumors that it could be a midwife for a few reasons. A midwife would know anatomy, which would explain how the killer so expertly dissected the bodies. Mm -hmm. A midwife wouldn't seem out of place being out in public at any hours of the night. That's true. And a midwife wouldn't look suspicious covered in blood. This is all true. Midwives. Midwives? Now, in 1939, author William Stewart added to this theory in his book, Jack the Ripper, A New Theory. He wrote that Jill the Ripper could have been an abortionist who was sold out to the law by another woman resulting in prison. And after being released from prison, Jill the Ripper was out for revenge on the other woman. Oh, let me take a breath. Wow. What a tangled web. Women against women all over the place. Apparently. 
The name Mary Piercy has been put out there as the prime Jill suspect, a woman who had murdered a mother and her young child. She sounds awful. Uh, yeah. The graphic nature of Piercy's crime led people to believe that she was the Ripper, but no more evidence than that really exists. Yeah, that doesn't sound so great. I mean, maybe it was Jill the Ripper, but... Jill the Ripper sounds like it could be plausible. Yeah. Number three on our countdown of Jack the Ripper theories is Carl Fagenbaum. Carl lands this high on our list of Ripper theories because he delivers a previous murder conviction, a confession, and his own personal lawyer pointed the finger right at him. (laughs) Which, that can't be good when your own lawyer comes to the conclusion. Yeah, he's definitely this awful person. Do you guys think that, like, maybe my client is Jack the Ripper? Yeah, you're a bad guy if your own lawyer's like, you're Jack the Ripper. A real bad guy. So let's walk through some of the reasons Carl could be our guy. Carl was actually put to death in 1894 for killing his landlady in Manhattan. The night of that murder, the landlady's son heard screaming and found Carl trying to cut his mother's throat. Sound familiar? Yep. Carl stabbed the woman and took off, but was caught that night. Carl's lawyer claimed that once he was arrested, Carl confessed that he suffered from a desire to kill women. Oh. Yeah. His lawyer then asked him about the Whitechapel murders, and Carl reportedly said, quote, The Lord was responsible for my acts, and that to him only could I confess. Oh. Double O. Oh. All that led Carl's lawyer to believe Carl was very likely Jack the Ripper. Jump decades later to early 2011, when Ripper expert Trevor Marriott released a documentary about Jack the Ripper for the BBC. Trevor dug into the theory about Carl and discovered it was possible. Carl really could be the Ripper. As part of the investigation, Trevor looked into all the people who could have been in the area during the murders. One group that was definitely around sailors. The merchant seamen would regularly be found in the so-called red light district, and as we've learned, Jack the Ripper targeted women. Accurate. The merchant ships were docked not too far away from that area of London. And guess who was stationed on one of those ships? Can you guess? I am gonna go with Van Gogh. Not Van Gogh, Carl Fagenbaum. Ah, who knew? Carl Fagenbaum. Carl does fit the profile and traveled often, which could explain the gaps in the timeline of the murders. That's interesting. A forensic anthropologist who reviewed the case also suggested that maybe one killer didn't commit all five murders. It's possible Carl is one of multiple killers and they're all Jack the Ripper. Like, boom, mic drop moment. Like Jesse and the Rippers, but bad. Just like that. (laughs) So we're thinking maybe Carl is only one of multiple killers. So maybe it's Carl. Maybe it's Prince Eddie. Maybe it's Walter Sickert. And Jill. I think so. I'm into it. I don't know. I think we're cracking the case right now. Told you we'd do it. And maybe my number one, because I'm ready for that one to rock your world. I'm ready for that, but I have a good one before we get to that. I'm interested. Two. 
We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of Jack the Ripper theories. At number two is Montague John Druitt. There's no better way to get on a countdown about who could be Jack the Ripper than having one of the commissioners at the London Metropolitan Police Department write your name at the top of their suspect list during the time of the murders. You know, that'll do it. It sure will. If that's not enough, Druitt's own family agreed. He was probably the killer. Ouch. (laughs) Woof. But where's the evidence? Give it to me. The Druitt theory may be more driven by popular opinion than it is on concrete evidence. But it makes you wonder, why would he be front and center as a suspect if there wasn't something? That's what I was wondering. So here we go. Druitt was the son of a physician, but he was never one himself. So maybe that could point to some familiarity of anatomy. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have stuff around the house that's going to... You're an understudy. You're going to have a medical book around the house. One or two. Well, immediately after graduating from college, he went to work at a boarding school in the southeast of London. For reasons that are still unclear, he was fired from the school in November 1888, just around the time the Ripper's final victim, Mary Kelly, was killed. Huh. The next month, Druitt's body was found in the River Thames, and it had reportedly been there for a while. The exact date of his death is uncertain. Interesting. But the timing lines up. He died just a few weeks after Mary Kelly, which could insinuate he was troubled by what he had done. Hmm. The reason he took his own life has also been debated, including he was the Ripper, he was struggling with his sexuality, or it was over losing his job. His social status hints that he probably could have found a new job easily, and the school wasn't his primary source of income anyway. So it's like, that just adds to the mystery of it all. But his death was officially ruled a suicide by drowning whilst of unsound mind. Now, as we mentioned, one of the investigators favored him as the killer, but it seems only because the commissioner said Druitt's family believed he was. Counterpoint. While some of Druitt's physical features matched witness descriptions of the Ripper, his whereabouts during the murders don't line up, and he really didn't have a connection to Whitechapel. Yeah, and it's like, how many physical descriptions did they get, and were they like, he had a top hat on? He had a top hat on, (laughs) he also had a mustache, and he died around the same time. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure a lot of other people died after Mary Kelly as well. Yeah, this is... This, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, but honestly, I'm more on the Carl train. I'm on the Carl train. I also <laughs> just want to know what this man's family went through that they were like, yeah, yeah, he's Jack the Ripper. That's the other thing. It's like, whoa. Why you think when your family's calling you Jack the Ripper? No. There's problems. Not good. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 Jack the Ripper theories. H.H. Holmes. Oh, girl. We are here. Within true crime lore, H.H. Holmes, a.k.a. the Beast of Chicago, is most notably called America's first serial killer. He was an educated doctor who was fascinated by death early in life. Sadistic is a good word for this man. He went on to murder almost 30 people, probably more. But before he became known as the Beast of Chicago, it's possible he moonlighted as Jack the Ripper as a warm-up. Okay. Mm-hmm. So who is H.H. H. Holmes, you're asking? Am I? I'd love to tell you. <laughs> so H.H. H. Holmes, for starters, his real name is Herman Webster Mudgett. 
I did not know that. You didn't know that? That's I didn't. funny. He changed it to Dr. Henry Howard Holmes when he moved to Chicago in the late 1880s because by then he was already an awful person and con man who needed to hide his real identity. Yeah, that'll do it. And also that's just like a better name. So when he moved to Chicago, he also began building what would become known as the Murder Castle. The name says it all about that. Yeah, you're not going to go there for an Airbnb. Yeah, it was a giant building with retail space below and a planned hotel above, where the rooms were reportedly rigged to help kill his victims. There were also allegedly chutes in the walls where he could drop the bodies down into the basement. For convenience, I suppose. Yeah, you know, that's that's a design right there. Sure is. Prior to his death by hanging in 1896, H.H. Holmes confessed to 27 murders. But as with most serial killers, it's believed to be much higher. Possibly 200 victims. I mean, I don't put that past him. So how does an American killer in Chicago line up with a London-based murderer? Do tell. I'm sure you're asking. I am. Well, let's talk about the location and timeline. One of the easiest ways to debunk this theory could be location and the timeline. Construction on Holmes's murder castle started in 1887 and ended in 1892. We know the Ripper murders took place towards the end of 1888, which means if H.H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper, he traveled to London and back before his own twisted house of horrors opened. But, like, he didn't have anywhere to stay, so maybe he was staying in London. And according to some reports, Holmes always left a paper trail of financial transactions or legal paperwork. But that's one of those things, too, that you're like, according to some. Right. You know, and he didn't always. Right. But during the time when the Ripper was active, there's nothing from Holmes in terms of these types of documents. Hmm. And another damning clue. Not long after Mary Kelly was killed, the last Ripper victim, there was an H. Holmes listed on a ship's passenger log. And it was sailing from England to America. And she was the last one killed. Just saying. In terms of timing and location, possible. I wonder how prevalent the name Holmes was back then. I know. I wonder that, too. That would be something to look into. There's also the matching M.O.'s. H.H. Holmes is known for being methodical in his murders. They were planned out and done pretty much all in private. Mm -hmm. Holmes also used some of his victims as a means to money by selling their bodies to medical schools or collecting insurance payouts. On the other hand, a lot of people see Jack the Ripper as almost a stalker in the night, just jumping out and attacking. That's honestly what I picture. But as we know, some of the Ripper's victims had their organs removed and were found in areas where police patrolled on a strict schedule, meaning they had to be at patrol points at certain exact times. So the Ripper had to be more organized than we often give him credit for. And if there's one word to describe H.H. Holmes. Organized. Well, there's many words, but you get the picture. No, terrible also. But he had to be a little more organized, the Ripper, though. And I don't think a lot of people really give that like a true look because he wasn't ever walked in on while he was doing this. No, it's true. And it is surprising. In the streets, you know, so it's like he had to be planning this. Then there's the diaries. The great-great-grandson of H.H. Holmes wrote a memoir in 2011 in which he said he inherited Holmes's personal diaries, which, whoa. Imagine. Imagine being the great-great-grandson of H.H. Holmes, too. I was going to say that. A wild scenario. 
Apparently in one of the diaries, Holmes states that he was in London during the time of the Ripper murders, but he was there with an quote-unquote apprentice. Oh? Interesting. And the fact that he's saying he was in London at that time? Within in his diaries? Apprentice? Like, you're a murderer. What's that mean? And it's like, he's not saying this out loud to, like, get attention or anything. It's in his diary. Right. Like, he wasn't intending people to read them. I also totally want to know what else is in this diary. Too. Just as a side combo. So here's the thing. Do we think maybe the Ripper killings were practice for Holmes before he returned to Chicago in the murder castle? I mean, possibly. And then he went on to kill almost 200 people. And especially to go into like a totally different continent to do it. It's mm -hmm. like you really get it out and then you come home and there you go. Right. I mean, it's out there, but it's not totally out there. Well, and it's not crazy to think that he was in London like at that time because his house was being built exactly. in America at that time. So he did need somewhere to stay. I think I said it before. There you go. And... He knew that he wasn't going to be in London forever anyway. So it's like he could do he this and leave. then dip out. Exactly. And then there's that whole like H. Holmes dipping out after the last killing. I mean, that's definitely number one. Yeah. And then when he's in America, he was so methodical and he got away with it for for a good amount of time. And he got away with a lot. Right. Just like Jack the Ripper. So it's like if he had already done it in England and he had already like worked out all the kinks, mm -hmm. he gets home and he's like, got it down and wow. that's why he's able to run that whole murder castle thing because he has worked it all out that is really crazy i'm just saying it's there i wish there was a way to prove that so that we could know if hh holmes and jack the ripper were the same person and i need to be the one to crack that case i feel like i'd like to sit there next to you i'm gonna write the next book about it and i'm gonna blame hh holmes i'll grab you some refreshments while you do thank so thank you i appreciate it no problem So, number one. Yep. Number one is number one, just because it's H.H. H. Holmes. 100%. I can't think of anything that was left off. I, I knew most of these, and some of these I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. The Walter Sickert one was the one I was most familiar with, obviously. Me too. Yep. I still think it's plausible. Mm -hmm. When you read the book, there's some compelling evidence in there. I do think it would be interesting, too, if it was Jill the Ripper. Jill the Ripper is one of the ones that I hadn't fully thought about until now, and now I'm like... Huh. I mean, it does make sense. And especially where a lot of experts don't believe that it's the same person. So maybe yep. like the first two were a man and then the last three or I'm just like picking numbers, but were a woman. It's true. And I think the whole like he needs it needs to be a doctor or a medical person. I think we should definitely think of that because it does make a lot of sense. But, but it doesn't have to. If be. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. As an autopsy technician, I've seen the inside of somebody. Mm -hmm. If somebody was to take their time and be very like methodical about it, I think somebody could possibly pull it off. But if then I put on top of that, they didn't have a lot of time. Well, I was and just it was in the say. dark. I feel like it would have to be somebody that knew what they were looking for and where to look for it. And again, if you go back to the Jill the Ripper theory, midwife. That one is really good. And you could leave covered in blood. I mean, that one, I have to say that one's probably one of my That's favorites. That's compelling. Yeah. Because we're all looking for Jack the Ripper. Right. It makes perfect sense. It really does. But H.H. H. Holmes really sent me. I didn't ever think of that before. I'm saying. 
Well, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you made it this far, you can follow our other podcast, Morbid, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Or you can follow us on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at A Morbid Podcast. And we hope you keep it weird until Monday. But don't be the ripper. Nay. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Fact checking by Cara Mackerline. Research by Jay Cahio. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff with production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart. Hi, I'm Shelby Scott, host of Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast. You can join me Wednesdays as I dive into the world of spiritualism and the women that defined it. We'll explore everything from obvious con artists to 150-year-old mysteries. It'll be a fascinating journey, so be sure to follow my new podcast, Mediums, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.